Cool. Thanks, Lisa. Hello again, everybody. Um, it's my privilege to bring us God's Word today. So before we get into it, why don't I pray? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your Word. We pray now as we come to it that we would listen and we would pay attention, that you would reveal yourself through it to us. May we have a better understanding of you, of your Word, and of your Son, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. What do you need to live a fulfilling life? Perhaps the most common answer to that question in our Western society is this. To live a fulfilling life is to die without regrets. There's a book uh, called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. It was written by an Australian woman named Bronnie Ware. Uh, she, uh, she worked in palliative care, which meant she worked with people who were terminally ill and about to die. And one of the things that she did was she would ask her patients whether they had any regrets. And then she put together the top five regrets that her patients had, wrote them up as a blog post, and then it became published as a book later. And what she found was that the number one regret that dying people had was that they wished they'd had the courage to fulfill their dreams and not just do what other people expected them to do. Now, that's something we can get on board with, right? Uh, it's important that we live our lives uh, and do the things that we like and not just do the things that people tell us to do. But the number two regret expressed by her patients, and interestingly by every single one of her male patients, was this. They wished that they hadn't worked so hard, that they'd spent more time with their families. And we get that too, don't we? You know, at the end of the day, it's the people who are closest to us that matter the most. But as I was reading this, I realized something. I realized that it's virtually impossible to die without regrets, isn't it? Uh, you know, we'll always regret something, right? You can pour your heart and your soul into your family, and then at the end, regret that you didn't pursue your own dreams. Or you can chase, chase your dreams until the day you die, but then regret not having spent enough time with your family. I think at the end of the day, it's, it's normal for us to have regrets, right? It's a part of being human and having to make choices about how to live our lives. So surely, dying without regrets can't be what we need to live a fulfilling life. But then, what is it that we need? And what does God say about what we need to live a fulfilling life? Well, today we're looking at the book of John. John was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, and John wrote this book, which is one of the four records we have of Jesus' life. And in this book, God, through John, gives us the key to living a fulfilling life. In the four weeks leading up to Christmas, uh, we will slowly unpack the first 18 verses of John chapter 1. Uh, each week, we're only going to do four or five verses at a time, but John 1, 1 to 18 is just so beautifully written. It's, it's so rich and layered in meaning. And as you'll see, every verse is just a goldmine of profound truth. So today, we'll cover verses 1 to 4, where we are introduced to the Word. And we're going to ask three questions. Number one, who is the Word? Number two, what did the Word do? And number three, what did the Word bring? And as we answer these questions, we will see how the Word is the key to living a fulfilling life. So the first question, who is the Word? And the identity of the Word unfolds in the first two verses. We're going to address this in three parts, and we're building up to part three. 
So part one, in the beginning was the word. Now, why does John use this term, the word here, right? Well, the word for word here in the original Greek is logos. Logos means word or reason in Greek. And it's where we get the English word logic from. For an ancient Greek person, logos meant the natural order of the universe that you had to live by in order to live a fulfilling life. But if you were a Jew, logos or word would have meant the word of God. God speaking and making himself and his will known to his people. Now John, John uses this term logos or word to capture everyone's attention. Jew or Greek. He's saying, no matter who you are, you need to listen. What I'm talking about here is the reason behind the whole universe, the very word of God. Now, if you were a Jew, you would also have known that John here is making a reference to Genesis chapter 1, uh, which we had read out today. Uh, you remember how Genesis chapter 1 starts? It starts with, in the beginning. But then instead of saying God, what does John say? John says, in the beginning was the word. He's doing a bait and switch here, isn't he? Right? And what he's saying by doing this is that just like God was there in the very beginning, so too the word was there in the beginning. Just like how God existed before time and space, so too the word existed before time and space. And now as a Jew, you, you wouldn't have expected John to say, in the beginning was the word, but you can still be on board with what he's saying. Because how does the rest of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 go? Well, it goes, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then in verse 3, how does God create? God creates by speaking. God says the word, and what he says comes true. So, yeah, God's word was there in the beginning, wasn't it? But the next part of John 1.1 is where things start to get interesting. Part two, and the word was with God. Now, this term with God, we usually think of the word with as being fairly passive, right? Uh, think of a 20-something-year-old um, uh, male uh, living with his parents, right? Living with his parents. You know, he, he goes to work or goes to uni. Uh, he hangs out with his friends afterwards. He stays out late. He comes home. He sleeps in the next day. He might eat some leftovers, and then off he goes about his day again, right? When he happens to see his parents around, what do his parents say to him? Is this your home, or is it a hotel, right? <laughs> that could have been me at some point, maybe. Um, but you see what I'm saying, right? This person, this guy, is living with his parents, but he's really just kind of coexisting with them, you know, isn't he? He's kind of living in parallel, but that's not the same as the word that's being used here. The word with here is active. It doesn't just mean kind of being next to. It also means facing and being oriented towards. It's a word that implies an active and personal relationship between two parties. It's a son who doesn't just coexist with his parents, but who, who eats with them and talks with them and shares life with them. And so the word was with God immediately tells us two things. It tells us that the word and God are distinct, but that they are also in relationship. But it also tells us one more thing. It also tells us that the word isn't an impersonal object or 
force or, or concept. It tells us that the word is a person. And we also see this in verse 2, which starts with he. He, not it. And, and this is kind of where everyone starts to raise their eyebrows a little bit, right? You know, both Jews and Greeks are like, wait a minute, hold up, hold up. What's going on here, right? How can this logos or the word be a person? That doesn't really make sense, does it? But then the last bit of verse 1 is where John really drives it home. Part 3, and the word was God. Now, this is the climax of verse 1. In fact, the whole of verses 1 to 2 builds up to this point. If you look at John chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, you actually find something interesting about its structure. It's actually symmetrical. Um, now, the Bible, if you're a Bible nerd, you would know this is called a chiasm. Uh, but you can also think of it as a staircase that goes up and then goes back down. And the point of the staircase is that it highlights this bit in the middle, right? So can you see this? In the beginning was the word. Step. And the word was with God. Step. And the word was God. And then step down. He was with God. Step down in the beginning. And at the top of this staircase, we have this phrase, the word was God. That is what John is building up to in verses 1 and 2. And this is controversial, right? Because one of the central pillars of Jewish belief is that there is one God. Right? If you know Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Hear, hear Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But John is saying here, in no uncertain terms, that the word was both with God and he was God at the same time. How can that work? And, and who exactly is this word? Well, if you keep reading John chapter 1, you'll get to verse 14, which is another jaw-dropping moment where the Word, who is now identified as God the Son, became flesh and lived among us. And, and Hans will have the joy of speaking to us about that incredible passage uh, at our Christmas services, so make sure you're there. Uh, but as you keep reading to verses 29 and 30, jo uh, John reveals exactly who this Word is. The Word become flesh, God the Son, is Jesus. Jesus was there in the beginning with God the Father, and Jesus is God. Now, does that mean that there are two gods? Well, no, because later on in John's Gospel, Jesus himself makes it really, really clear that he and the Father are one. So Jesus and God, the Father, are distinct, yet they are one, and Jesus is God. Now, what does it mean for our lives that Jesus, or the Word, was God? Well, it means that if we want to live a fulfilling life, we need to listen to everything Jesus says, because he is God. Now, Christians, we make foolish decisions all the time, don't we? Um, we stuff up, we sin, or we just make plain, unwise choices. And I think the reason why many of us do this is because we listen to our hearts rather than listen to what Jesus says. I don't know if this is, is true for you, but one of the biggest uh, messages that my generation got uh, growing up was this, listen to your heart, or, or be true to yourself. If you listen to your heart, you can't go wrong. But I don't think you have to go very far to realize that this is actually pretty bad advice on all levels, right? Um, I went on the internet and found this website uh, called livereal.com, 
and there was an article there titled, Why Follow Your Heart is Bad Advice and What to Do Instead. And in the article, these authors, they list heaps of reasons why listen to your heart is just bad advice. One of them is that our hearts can change really quickly, and it can tell us contradictory things. And so our heart's not really a reliable guide. But another big reason is that listen to your heart is just a small step away from if it feels good, you should do it. And if we did everything based on what we felt was good at the time, we'd be in a lot of trouble, wouldn't we? Uh, we'd make a lot of decisions that we'd regret later on. So this website, livereal.com, it's not a Christian website, um, but really it, it's agreeing with what the Bible says about our hearts. The Bible says that our hearts are deceitful and that our hearts are inclined towards sin. And so when we're faced with a difficult decision, well, we've got a choice, don't we? We've got a choice to do what our heart says or do what Jesus says. And I think all too often we listen to our hearts. As an example, I recently had a bit of a disagreement with a friend. Uh, we were messaging online, and he said something to me that was a little bit inflammatory. Um, now, it came from a place of hurt, um, but actually it made me quite angry, what he said. Uh, unwisely, I listened to my heart. I, I, re I replied to him in my frustration, but the result of that was he got more frustrated, and then I got more frustrated, and the whole thing didn't go all that well. Right? It would have been much better if I listened to Jesus' words to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. But what decisions have you made where, where you've listened to your heart rather than to Jesus? You see, if Jesus is God, he has a full authority of God, and we need to listen to all of his words, and not just the bits that we like. You know, it may not be what you feel like doing at the time, but listen to Jesus is way better advice than listen to your heart. So who is the word? The word was God. Jesus, the word, is God. And if Jesus is God, then we need to listen to all of his words if we want to live a fulfilling life. But let's come to the second question. What did the word do? And so now we're coming to chapter 1, verse 3, part, part 1 of verse 3. Read with me. Through him all things were made. Now remember Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, right? Um, it might come up on the slide again. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, another pillar of Jewish belief is that God alone is the creator of everything. And, and John now, after telling us that the word is God, is telling us that the word is also the creator. And, and John here, he's just overturning Jewish thought left, right, and center, right? Uh, but notice something, right? John is very careful with his choice of words. He says, through him, all things were made. Not by him, but through him. If all things were created by him, that would imply that Jesus alone created everything, which would then exclude God the Father. But that's not what John says. John says all things were made through him. So we can say that both God the Father and God the Son together created the universe and everything in it. The Father created the universe through the Son. Now, how exactly God the Father created the universe through the Son, uh, we don't really know. It doesn't say. Uh, one analogy that might be helpful is to think that maybe God is the architect uh, who designs the building. You know, he, he makes the blueprint. He gives the instructions for it to be built. And then Jesus is the team of workers who goes on and builds it. 
so God the architect creates the building through Jesus the workers. Um, it's not a perfect analogy, uh, but the point isn't to know exactly how the Father created everything through the Son. The important thing we get is that Jesus was active together with the Father in creating all things. And so that's why John says the same thing again in the next part of this verse, but just in the negative, in the reverse. So read on with me. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. God the Father made everything through Jesus. There is not a single thing in the entire universe that was made without Jesus. And that includes me and you. And this is important because if Jesus is our creator, that means we need to live for him. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 16 says, you were, sorry, it says about Jesus that all things have been created through him and for him. You were created through Jesus and for Jesus. The purpose of your life is to live for Jesus. And living to our intended purpose, according to our intended purpose, is good for us. And it's an important part of living a fulfilling life. Now, we're going to just play a quick video to illustrate this. So I'll get Bang to hit the video, and then we'll continue. My asthma. They said they'd fix it, but it didn't make any difference at all. Well, sometimes doctors make mistakes. Anna, you need to try twice as hard to fix them. Are you using your inhaler? All the time. Go through one a week. You sure you're using it right? Do I look like an idiot? No. Why don't you show me how your inhaler works? Joke. We, we can stop with that. Thanks. What was that all uh, I, I love House. It's not always medically chickens. accurate, but it's pretty funny, isn't it? <laughs> so, so in this video, Dr. House uh, is helping a woman work out why her asthma isn't getting better. Uh, and as it turns out, she's using her puffer like a perfume spray rather than as an inhaler. And it's no surprise that your asthma isn't any better if you're not using your puffer according to its intended purpose, right? But using your puffer the way it was made to be way, uh, used uh, is good for you because then your treatment will work and your asthma will get better. And in the same way, living for Jesus, the way we were made to live, is actually good for us. We are living according to our intended purpose. So let me ask you this. If someone looked at your life right now, everything in it, uh, whether it's your home, your possessions, your calendar, your, your bank account, uh, everything that you do, what would they say is at the center of your life? What's the thing that you spend uh, the most time thinking or worrying about? What's the thing that you spend uh, your, most of your energy and your money on? Uh, what's the thing that takes the first priority in your life and everything else has to move around it? I think for many of us here, I think it'd be our families. I think that's true for me. And, and prioritizing family, it, now that's quite a Christian thing to do, isn't it, right? Um, after all, God tells us to love and take care of our families. It's, it's right and it's good for us to do. But when our lives revolve around our families, we've got things the wrong way around. Now, how can you tell this is a problem for you? Well, I've got a few questions that might be helpful. Number one, how often do you or your family miss church or growth group or youth group 
because of family activities or because your kids have music, sport, or dance, etc. Number two, how much time as a family do you spend reading God's word and praying together? Number three, what's more important to you? Your children being successful or your children being spiritually mature? Now, if any of those questions make you feel uncomfortable, like they do for me, then perhaps something needs to change. Now, maybe for you it's not family, maybe it's something else, but but Jesus says to us, I created you to live for me. So we need to take whatever is at the center of our lives and make that revolve around Jesus instead. What needs to change in your life so that if someone looked at your life, they would see that Jesus is at the center? What did the word do? Jesus, the word, made all things. And if Jesus is creator, then we need to live for him if we want to live a fulfilling life. But let's come to our third question. What does the word bring? And now we're in chapter 1, verse 4. First part of it. In him was life. One of the truest things you can say about God is that he is living. In fact, God is more alive and living than any other living thing because God created all living things. God is alive and he is a source of all life. And the word who is God is also living. And as creator, he too is a source of all life. In him was life. But there's also a second meaning here as well. John is also setting up Jesus as the giver of eternal life. Now, life is a big theme in John's gospel. Uh, So actually, listen to some of these words that Jesus says about himself in the book of John. They're going to come up on the screen. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Or in John 11.25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And then John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, if you read John's Gospel to the end, you'll see that Jesus gets arrested, he gets beaten, he gets mocked, he's unfairly trialed, and he's finally hung on a Roman cross to die. And as Jesus hung on the cross with his dying breath, he said three words. He said, it is finished. Dying on the cross, Jesus finished his job on earth to bring eternal life to those who believe in him. Dying on the cross, Jesus took away the sins of the world, our sins, for rejecting God, which rightfully deserves separation from God and death. Jesus died on the cross in our place, so we don't have to. And then he gives us his life, eternal life. But that's not how John ends, is it? If you keep on reading, you'll see that Jesus' tomb was found empty because Jesus rose again from the dead. By rising from the dead, Jesus proved that what he said was true, that he had conquered death, and that we can be certain that we will be raised to life with him too. That's why if we come to Jesus, we will never go hungry or be thirsty again, because he satisfies us eternally. That's why if we believe in Jesus, we will live even after we die, because he rose from the dead and he will raise everyone from the dead. That is why if we come to Jesus, we have truth and life because he is the only way to God the Father in heaven. Jesus brings us 
eternal life. And that brings us to the second half of verse 4. And that life was the light of all mankind. Light and dark is another prominent theme in John. It's closely linked to the theme of life. Darkness signifies evil and living in opposition to God. Uh, Living like this is like stumbling around in the dark. But light represents life and living according to God's way. Living this way is like walking a well-lit path and you can see exactly where you're going. In John 8.12, Jesus says this. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world. If we follow him, we will never walk in the darkness. We will always know where we're going, walking the path of eternal life towards God. Do you know where you're going? One of the scariest moments in my life was when I went to rural India uh, as a student on placement. We were driving to the hospital uh, from the airport. It was a six-hour drive, and about half of it was on unsealed road. So it was bumpy, and it got really dusty. Then about four hours in, it started getting dark and foggy. And between the, the darkness, the dust, and the fog, I'm not kidding when I say the visibility was literally zero. Like we, couldn't, we couldn't see a thing. So there I was, in the middle of nowhere, not knowing where I was going, and not knowing how to get there. Like it was really, really scary. But by God's grace, after a while, the, the dust and the fog lifted a bit, and eventually we made our way to the hospital. But it was such a terrifying experience, because it was so dark that we didn't know where we were going. And Jesus says, in the same way, our world is in darkness, and people in our world are stumbling around in the dark, not knowing where we're going. And our culture tells us, right, find your own path. You know, make your own way in the world. Now, that sounds really nice, doesn't it? But doesn't it just acknowledge that we don't really know the way? We're just picking our own way through the darkness and hoping that it's the right way. But God's word, Jesus, says this. He says, follow me. He says, I am the light of the world. I bring eternal life. Follow me, and you will always know that you are going the right way. If you don't follow Jesus yet, he is inviting you to come to him. He wants you to have life, and life to the full. He wants you to live in the light with certainty and joy in life, knowing that even after you die, you can look forward to spending eternity with God in heaven. If you've been convicted today that Jesus is God, creator, and the bringer of life. Now, don't just go away and forget about it. You can decide to follow Jesus today. You, know, you can talk to me or talk to a Christian friend after the service, and we want to help you make that first step. But even if you're not there yet, right? even if you're not ready, keep exploring Jesus. He makes really big claims about who he is, and he is at least worth checking out. Keep joining us for the next few weeks here at church leading up to Christmas, as we keep digging into John chapter 1. That way you can make an informed decision about whether this Jesus is worth following. But what does the word bring? Jesus, the word, brings life, and he calls us to follow him. So let's come back to the question that we started with. What do we need to live a fulfilling life? John 1, 1 to 4 tells us it's the word. 
the Logos, the, the reason and the order behind the universe who reveals the will and the character of God, the Word who is a person, Jesus. Because Jesus is God, we need to listen to him. Because Jesus is the creator, we need to live for him. And because Jesus brings life, we need to follow him. And when we listen to Jesus, when we center our lives around him, and when we follow him, then we will have life in his name, eternal life, and life to the full. Let's pray. Our great God, we thank you so much for Jesus, your word, who is God, who is a creator, and who brings life. Help us today not to leave uh, unimpacted by your word. We pray that we would listen to all of Jesus' words, that we would live for him, and that we would follow him. We pray this in his name. Amen.